This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show, the second hour of the Sunday Night Sex Show. We've got lots of information to cover tonight. I'm going to start out with a bit of a threesome here, or maybe a fivesome. <laughs> anyway, trying to get this in in this first segment, talking a lot about, we're going to be talking about intimacy uh, after a cancer diagnosis, about uh, how do you know your marriage is doomed, and how you can be a little bit happier. But I, I want to talk a little bit about the importance, especially with fall upon us, uh, unfortunately, uh, the importance of sex education. I wanted to let you know how the Dutch do it. The Dutch do it darn well, I have to say. They actually provide week long, a week long sex education program to all of their students from age four to 12. This, uh, of course, it's a uh, developmentally, um, appropriate. It's age appropriate. The lessons that, that allow for open, honest discourse. They talk about love, relationships, feelings, personal boundaries, and sex. And yes, they start this as early as uh, age four. And they talk about age appropriate. What Those butterflies in your stomach, is it okay to hold somebody's hand? Um, and one might think, a lot of people think, oh, if you talk about sex, kids are going to have it a lot sooner. But in fact, the United States has the highest, according to this Time Magazine article, the United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the developed world, while the Dutch have among the lowest, eight times lower than their American counterparts. And the research also indicates that on average, teens in the Netherlands do not have sex at an earlier age than those in the U.S. We can we can say Canada as well. So, you know, we're not great about talking to kids about sex because we're embarrassed. We think they're going to start having sex way sooner than we want them to. We're fearful of it. We're afraid they're going to get pregnant or get an STI. Um, but, you know, sex education needs to go far beyond that. And I received this email which underscored the need that sex education needs to go far beyond that. Here it is. I actually cried when I got this email. I, I was a little bit sick, febrile, maybe slightly disoriented, but no, <laughs> I was. I was. Uh, I did cry when I read this. Dear Maureen, I have tears in my eyes as I write this. Please bear with me. I just listened to your TEDx talk, and although you touched many ideas and issues that might arise in a sexless marriage, the talk was great, I can still not get my head around one question that stands out in my own sexless marriage and causes me to worry. That is, if I don't want to have sex, why should I? I'm 39 years old. I've been married for nine years to a kind, handsome man. We have a seven-year-old son, and his conception was the last time we had sex. Even a year prior to that, our sex life was touch and go. I just lost interest and wasn't enjoying it. And when we did try to be intimate, I ended up in tears. What I hear is that a marriage needs sex. The man needs the affection to feel loved, etc. The marriage will fall apart otherwise. What I feel is that forcing myself to try and engage in sex for him or because we should be doing it is like handing my body over as an object. Having sex and not wanting to, in my mind, feels very one-sided, very vulnerable, and I end up crying in bed. Sex in theory seems like a good idea, but I don't want to do it. There could be numerous reasons for feeling like this, but ultimately I just feel guilty for not doing it or feeling something I should, letting my husband down and that something will happen to our marriage. Can you point me in the direction of a solution? One of the issues here is the likely poor education as a child. Not You're not doing it for him. You are doing it for you. There are so many health benefits to being sexually active, and those health benefits are even greater when you are sexually active with another person, when you are intimate with another person. The hormones that are released, the testosterone, the dopamine, the oxytocin, they are all beneficial 
will help with sleep. There are so many physical benefits and not to mention the pleasure, but we rarely educate women about pleasure. So the first thing I would say to this um, writer is that it, it, the sex is not for him. The sex is for you and together with him um, is even that much more beautiful. But also if there's a problem, sexual desire or low sexual desire or low arousal or not wanting to do it can actually be indicative of another condition. Um, and, and yes, the marriage is at risk, absolutely at risk for chronic masturbation, pornography, infidelity, uh, and those risks are real. So this is, um, you know, this is why it's so important. Do you want your children to end up like you have coming to see me in my clinical practice with all of your sex issues? I appreciate that. No, do you want your children to end up in a sexless marriage? Do you want them not to be intimate or not to be able to talk about or communicate what they need, what they desire, what they love in their um, marriage. So it's a subject that needs to be discussed. And so many people say they were not taught about sex. So here it is with the fall upon us. Make sure that you do talk to your children in an age appropriate way about sex. We should offer these programs in schools. Some, some schools do. Um, and you know, a lot of parents have a lot of issues with some of the discussions around sex that are actually age appropriate according to research. But, um, you know, it's, it's the, the issue lies with you. Um, and, uh, a lot of people put their heads in the sand about their sexless marriages and, and think nothing bad could happen. Um, but it does. Uh, and, uh, honestly it does. These are big risks. Um, also, uh, you know, another risk is the one night stand has been, I wouldn't say replaced, but I, I would say it's been enlarged, shall we say, by something that could even be more sinister, but it's, it's um, basically about two people who want to have sex repeatedly. They they don't want to get emotionally involved. That, this is sort of the best way to have this um, this several night stand, if you will. The, uh, this is where you know, dare I say, no one gets hurt. It's typically people who are wanting to have sex. They may be in a relationship. They may not be in a relationship. They may be in a sexless relationship, and so they. They have these biological needs. They have sexual needs. They are sexual people. And so these are people who want regular intimacy. And so it's a flip side to a one-night stand. And it's not necessarily a stable long-term relationship, but it is a relationship of sorts. It's kind of like the same time next month uh, kind of a deal. Uh, it's not having to deal with any of the issues like the kids issues at school, perhaps, or the mortgage or discipline or the house cleaning or um, whatever happens in life. You just get together with somebody. You almost feel like you're dating them without dating them. The, when you're apart, the intimacy vanishes and you save it for the next time you're together. These are becoming more and more popular um, and it's sometimes in, with single people, this arises because one person wants a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a partner for a night and maybe just a few times a week. Um, but these are becoming um, more and more popular. So it's you're infatuated for a short bit of time and then it goes away. Um, so people are arranging these. Um, they're a little bit more um, understanding. They're 
they're covert, perhaps. They don't want someone to know they're in a relationship for whatever reason. But that's another risk to a sexless marriage, a one-night stand, an affair at work, an online affair, or a several-night stand. Um, anyway, and it you might not be very happy with that. That's for darn sure. Um, but there's a lot of people who just aren't happy in this world. Um, maybe they just have a personality that always looks at the glass half full. But there are ways, according to science, to be happier and feel a greater sense of fulfillment. And one of those ways is to learn something new, regardless of how old you are. Learn a new musical instrument. I have to say I'm learning the guitar again. I was a lefty player as a kid, and now I'm playing righty because my sinister guitar teacher is making me... (laughs) Um, and you know, it was tough. It was really hard at first, but it's getting better. And, um, so I've switched, I've, uh, gone to the dark side anyway of the righties. I'm a lefty, um, meaning mastering a new skill means a little more stress at the beginning, but happiness later. You got to push through that added stress in the short term and you can have huge gains for happiness later. And this is according to the Journal of Happiness Studies. You also want to have friends. You want to make friends with people who live nearby you. That's the sweet spot, is a happy friend who lives very close by. If you need something, whether it be a cup of milk or some firewood or, um, you know, just somebody to, you know, listen to your story or bring your mail in when you're away. Um, And so researchers broke down the happiness effect on the basis of Uh, according to this particular study, of a participant's relationship to others and their proximity to each other. So here's the ranking from greatest impact on happiness to the least. So if you have nearby mutual friends, that's fantastic. That's off the charts. A next-door neighbor that you get along with, fantastic. Love my next-door neighbors. A nearby friend uh, is also... um, is also very beneficial as well. Nearby friend, perceived friend, and acquaintance, that's also somebody good. A nearby sibling is beneficial. It goes down from there. A co-resident spouse, a distant sibling, a non-co-resident spouse, or a same-block neighbor, or a distant friend. You want to have your friends close by. You want to have your enemies closer. This one I thought is really interesting, and it's true, because life isn't one thing or the other. Life it has has beautiful aspects of it and life also has sadness or or problems or struggles or issues and so embracing those opposing feelings at the same time so in other words if you're cheerful plus downcast that equates to being happy so acknowledging the complexity of life may be especially beneficial to psychological well-being. And this is according to Jonathan Adler of the Franklin W. Olin College of Engineering. He feels happiness can come from noticing and embracing a wide spectrum of emotions, both good and bad. Nobody's life is perfect, I promise you, except for mine and Matt's. That's right, Matt, right? Um, And here's the best one. (laughs) Um, Mine is so far from perfect, let me tell you. (laughs) I could tell you three things. I often say I could tell you three things about my life, and you'd say, wow, she has an amazing life. And then I could tell you three other things about about my life, and you'd say, oh, my gosh, how does she even get up in the morning? Okay, that's my life. But I'm probably a little bit of downcast and cheerful, right? My personality is cheerful, but I know that there are problems in life. Um, So invest in good counseling. Therapy is 32 times more effective than money is for happiness. Of course, you need a little money to get some counseling. That's the problem. So 
Money doesn't buy happiness. We've heard that before, but therapy is good. You know why it's good? Because you can share your secret. You might have shame about something. You can share your secret um, with somebody else. You don't have to uh, bear that burden for such a long time. Um, it's There's such... Um, a benefit to these intangible experiences, communication, you know, so it's so helpful. You know, I often say if you cry, you release some of the pain. Um, you, you might be worried about something and tell somebody else, a therapist, and they might really reframe it for you and put it in a different perspective. And this is the best one, I think. I'm not sure. I said they're all the best ones. But anyway, say no to almost everything. Better yet, say I don't. I love this. I have actually tried, before I read this, I've tried the I don't thing. And I don't is so powerful. I don't miss my swim in the morning. I don't. And then it means you don't miss it. You, It's accountability to yourself. So a lot of people don't say no to anyone because they don't want to disappoint them. They don't want them to think poorly of them for whatever reason. They want to be super mom, super whomever, superhuman. And um, so instead of saying uh, yes to everything, consider saying no, but say, no, I don't do that. I don't pick up other people's children after school. I don't whatever, you know, run errands. I don't lend money to neighbors. I don't lend money to family. So if you have a certain set of rules that you live by, it may lead to a little bit more happiness for you. And always prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And that's the samurai approach to happiness. So it's actually um, the so-called negative visualization. And it's it's rooted in stoicism. So, you know, it's something to actually, you know, you're facing reality, facing life, Also, give up some of your favorite things just for a day or two, not forever. So give up coffee and then you'll appreciate it a little bit more, right? Um, Anyway, I don't think I have time right now for my, we're going to be talking about um, love and uh, not really love in the workplace, but happy workplaces because we have a lot of toxic workplaces out there. So when I come back, Casey Miller is going to join me from Six and a Half Consulting. We're going to talk about the best workplace environment for you. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show. Maureen McGrath here. Thank you so much for being with me this evening. Uh, the show would be nothing without you. Uh, a couple emails I'm going to read, and then I'm going to bring on Casey Miller after the news. So um, this is an email from last week, and I felt it might help a lot of other people out there as well, a lot of, a lot of other women. Dear Maureen, I was listening to your show in the car last night, and you were mentioning there was a suppository I could purchase online for vaginal dryness. Would you mind telling me the name of the product you mentioned and where to get it online? Um, thank you, Denise. Um, so this is the vaginal suppository that I was talking about for vaginal dryness was Repagyne, R-E-P-A-G-Y-N. It's Health Canada approved. It's all natural, hormone free. It's available over the counter, but you can order it online at Repagyne, R-E-P-A-G-Y-N dot C-A. And so that, uh, take it for about a week. Um, initially and then twice a week and it optimizes after about two to three months and uh, vaginal dryness of course can impact your sexual desire it can because it can lead to sexual pain uh, so it's um, it's just as important to moisturize your vagina as it is your face and it, in fact I think it works a little bit better on the vagina but anyway here's another email hi Maureen been married for just five years with a son not sure if my wife enjoys sex with me because she never initiates sex Probably because I have erectile dysfunction and sometimes premature ejaculation. Woo! Sounds like someone we want, huh? Many times I am very much attracted to other women and do have sexual relationships with them. And I think they always want more of me and I feel they boost my confidence in bed. But to my wife, I am boring. Need help. 
So, yeah, it's probably, this is all tied up together. Um, you maybe are not psychologically aroused with your wife, maybe because you feel she's bored with you. So that might have something to do with your erectile dysfunction. The premature ejaculation, that's typically psychological. So those are two significant sexual dysfunctions to have, and they are definitely going to impact your relationship. So it doesn't sound like you have, I'm assuming here, doesn't sound like you have issues with the other women that you're having sex with. That's not really going to help your marriage or relationship to have sex with women outside of the relationship. You want to at least try to work on the issues that you have, get help for your erectile dysfunction. You need to have a history and a physical exam, make sure that your diet is low glycemic index, make sure your abdominal girth is low. And if you need to take one of the PDE5 inhibitors, um, you'd need to see your physician for a prescription for that. Erectile dysfunction is a turn off for women. Let me tell you out there, I cannot tell you how many guys come into my clinical practice with ED and they're shocked that their wives don't want to have sex with them. It is a turn off to have sex with a a flaccid or a plastic, a flaccid penis. So my question for this guy is, did you have ED with with other women or just your wife? It sounds like just your wife. And also there's there's actually an app for PE, for premature ejaculation. It's called PEA, the app. So um, anyway, it's unfair to be cheating on your wife, yet I understand this happens. There are risks to this. Somebody may tell your wife, you may get an STI, better to try and repair your marriage. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are in the final strokes of the program here. I just wanted to, um, I'm very excited about this particular subject because, you know, you can become disengaged in your relationship, but you can also become disengaged at work. And that may be the result of your relationship or something else that is going on at work. And that has fiscal uh uh, event, you know, events associated with it. Um, and so it can actually hit the bottom line and it can also be a miserable place to go to work, especially when you have disengaged employees. And joining me on the line is Casey Miller. He's the president of Six and a Half Consulting here in Vancouver. Hello, Casey. Hey there. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, this is a subject that is unfortunately near and dear to my heart. Well, because I, I, I didn't necessarily disengage in work, but um, because I, I think I have a bit more responsibility than that, and I left the organizations where I was a target of workplace bullying. So I guess I did disengage fully. I left. Um, but disengagement at work can have a lot of negative consequences, and we can have un, like we have unhealthy relationships in our homes, in our workplaces, we can have unhealthy conflict and emotional issues going on there as well. So tell me about your what you do to help organizations become healthy um, on an emotional level and so that they can thrive. Well, first, you know, I'm sorry that you've had that experience at work. You're not alone. 70% of uh, North Americans are disengaged from work, and I think that's a real bummer, right? Can you define disengagement for me just so we know... Well, it can run the gamut from everything from just being checked out to uh, feeling psychologically unsafe, um, low productivity levels, low energy levels, just that general feeling of malaise that I don't want to be here, but I have to be. Right. right. Exactly. And, you know, 70% of North Americans feel that way. And if we're spending eight hours of our day, nine, ten hours a day at work, what a bummer if we don't like what we're doing or not connected to the place where we work. So... 
I try to help organizations become places where people feel motivated and feel connected to their work. And certainly that then has implications when they go home, because if you're not feeling good at work, you're certainly not going to be feeling good and connected with the people that are close in your life. That's right. You're going to be miserable at home as well and not want to have sex either. But anyway, I digress. Um, so tell me, what is it that you do? What do you do uh, when a, when an organization or a company hires you to come in? Do you do, you do an assessment of the employees? How, do, how does this work? Yeah, well, the first thing that we, you know, I, I want to say is you can't, you can't motivate anyone. Exactly. Uh, as, as parents, we know this. As, as people, you can't motivate anyone to do anything. They actually have to want to do it themselves. So what I do with organizations is help them create the environments by which something called intrinsic motivation flourishes. External motivators like um, rewards and money really don't motivate people. What does motivate people are, is a sense of intrinsic connection both to the work and to the people with whom they're doing the work. So there's lots of things that you can do to actually build then this intrinsic motivation. So the extrinsic doesn't work. That's interesting. So bonuses don't work and, um, you know, a a trip to Hawaii doesn't work if you meet certain sales targets? So what the research actually tells us, and we've known this for probably 70 years, behavioral scientists have known this, is that for jobs that require cognitive inputs, that require some form of creativity, that are not repetitive, that are not factory-line type jobs, actually external motivators don't work. Uh, once we're paid what is to be a fair wage for what, we're, what we do, you can't be motivated for an extra dollar to work any harder or to be any more connected to your job. Interesting. Now, yeah. So, listen, I mean, if you get a bonus, great. If you get a trip to Hawaii, great. You might be a little bit more excited for a week or two, but that's not going to keep you connected to the work. Right. So, so what does keep you connected to the work is two things. One is this personal connection to the work itself, and then secondarily is a, per- is a personal connection to the people with whom you're doing the work. And that really manifests itself across four areas, and these are the four areas that I work on with organizations. One is, is mastery. We can talk about any of these, but I'll, I'll share with them uh, with you. One is mastery. Mm-hmm. Each of us has a desire to get really good at something and have the opportunity to grow in something, and at work, we actually need to feel like we're growing in our profession and that we have the opportunities to do so. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. The second one is relatedness. We need to feel that we're connected to the people that we work. And so the way that I do that through, uh, through trainings is principally through empathy training and a lot of emotional intelligence training. You, can thing, you teach emotional intelligence to somebody? Actually, emotional intelligence is the only part of our of our person that can be taught. Our wow. IQ is relatively fixed. Right. Uh, uh, our personalities are relatively fixed. Now, we can change depending on the circumstance. But emotional intelligence, 100% can be taught. Wow. And that's part of the things that I do. And, um, yeah, a lot of it has to do with empathy training. Right, because a lot, there's a lot of discompassionate people out there. Well, and that's kind of the source of bullying, right? People that aren't that aren't empathetic to right. their coworkers. Exactly. So you actually can get better at this. Uh, part of that has to do with learning how to read body language. And then the other part is learning how to deal with conflict. Conflict is uh, a word that most Canadians don't like to hear. We're, uh, we're afraid of conflict. Mm-hmm. 
But if there are actually skills that you can you can learn to actually engage in healthy conflict. Com- well, conflict shouldn't be a bad word. It should be something that we all engage in. From that comes innovation. But most of us don't like to have it, right? Right. And, you know, so many people say, I don't like conflict. I don't. Because I'll say to people, well, have you talked to them? I often say to people, have you talked to them about it? Oh, no, no. I'm, I don't like conflict. I don't want to address it. I don't want to. They're so afraid. And I, I give them a word. I mean, I, I'm not like you. I don't hold a master's degree in administration and another in theological studies from Harvard University like you do. But I uh, suggest that they be curious. They just say to somebody, you know, I'm curious why you're this way. But I don't know. Perhaps you have some better wisdom for us. You know what? That's actually really key. So uh, my ingredients for developing empathy, which are pretty similar when you, when you have conflict, first is engage listening. Um, and that's not that hard. We make it a lot harder. But to be an engaged listener really just means to shut up mm-hmm. and to listen. It's a conscious decision to actually hear what someone else is saying. And the second piece, then, is uh, genuine curiosity, a true desire to understand what someone's fears, their hopes, their motivators, whatever it may be, a real genuine curiosity to ask the question, why? So if you do both of those things, you, you listen you genuinely listen and aren't coming up with some kind of retort or defense. And then secondarily, ask questions that probe people's fears and hopes. That's the basis and underlyings of empathy. It's fantastic. I, I, it's great work, Casey. I, I love this work. I, um, I love your mission to create thriving workplaces, relationships, and communities because I think this is so important. Um, and, and I think we need more happiness in this world. And, and you're one of the, the generators of that happiness in Vancouver. Well, and you're giving me a forum to talk about it and something else that's really important, sex. <laughs> of course it is, but you're singing to the choir with that one. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Casey Miller? Go to my website, sixandahalfconsultingallspelledout.com, or Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, at sixandahalfconsulting.com as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the information. We'll get you back to talk a little bit further about uh, training somebody in emotional intelligence. I like that. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are definitely in the final strokes now of the program. Uh, You know, uh, with wedding season here this summer, I don't know if you've been to some weddings, but uh, I have. I I typically am not going to be invited anymore because I'm the one standing up. Does anybody (laughs) have any concerns about this, that this marriage should not go through? I'm like, just a second, please. Nothing against this couple, but I would like to uh, make sure they know how to communicate that uh, if they want to have sex, if one of the two wants to have sex, that that uh, will carry on. And uh, lots of other things. Anyway, of course, I'm I'm kidding. But um, but I, I have to say, I whenever I go to a wedding, I'm just like, okay, all of this pomp and circumstance and everyone's so happy and it's the glory time and everything is wonderful and fabulous. And then every marriage encounters problems. And sometimes the problems are so overwhelming that they seem unfixable. And you might wonder where your marriage is going, given all of the problems. But, you know, people, as you heard the previous guest, Casey Miller, people don't like conflict and they don't like to talk to others about problems that they're having. You see that in in workplaces, you see it in relationships all the time. It's amazing how people don't want to talk to their partner about the problems that they have. And when you just allow these problems to build up, what 
also builds up is resentment, hurt feelings, and then that leads to emotional detachment from one another. And and so if you love your partner, you want to remain in the marriage, you have a commitment to your vows, you don't want to overlook some signs that your marriage may be over. One of those signs is that you no longer share your stories, thoughts, or feelings. And I'd also add that you don't ask your partner about their day. How was your day? Or you don't get excited for what they're, what's going on in their life. And the best part of, or one of the best aspects of marriage, of course, next to the sex, um, this is a sex show, uh, one of the best aspects is that you have somebody that you can lean on. But if you lose that, everything else is gone. So if you have something to share, you want to talk about it, your spouse is generally the first to know. But when you start telling other people, especially somebody at work of the opposite sex, it could lead to some problems. And this could be a sign that your marriage is over. If you were fantasizing about leaving your spouse, that's that's bad. But when that energizes you, that's even worse. This isn't a reason to give up on your marriage, but it is a serious sign. If you lose the sexual intimacy, because sex is an emotional expression of love with that one person that you love, that you're committed to, and it doesn't mean it's the only person you're going to be attracted to in life, but it is that person that you've committed to. And if it stops, then something is wrong. And so that is the cause of many failed marriages. And there's nothing more hurtful in a relationship um, to you or your partner's self-esteem than being rejected sexually repeatedly. And this happens very commonly. It comes with a feeling of inadequacy because you think there's something wrong with you, whether it be your appearance or how you are, you maybe think something else is going on in the relationship. Poor communication. If you are no longer proficient in communicating with each other, if you're fighting all the time, if one person is speaking more than the other, doesn't let the other one get a word in edgewise, if it escalates to anger and, of course, to any abuse. And um, I, that's, I didn't really get too much into that tonight. We'll have to carry on for that next week. Um, deteriorating marriages communicate less and less and eventually stop talking. And that means that this is a good sign that the marriage is over. And if you're looking elsewhere for love or even sex to have your needs met and you're not remorseful about it, mm, big problem. Cheating is very common if your spouse is not devoted to your marriage anymore. And there's many different forms. There's emotional cheating, being flirtatious with others, whatever way it takes the sexual energy out of a marriage or it has the potential to take sexual energy out of a marriage. Um, also, increasing disrespect or contempt or uh, increasing argument if it leads to abuse, um, you know, it's also a, a sign. I think anytime if somebody raises a hand to you, it's time to turn around and go once. That's, that would be my limit. Um, and, and I can say that with absolute um, affirmation. That is 100%. I have zero tolerance for um, any abuse. Um, so it's difficult. You know, you need to work at a marriage. Uh, everybody has problems, and you have to face that. A lot of people don't like to admit that they have problems because they feel that it weakens them or makes them less than perfect. And who likes to be less than perfect in this world? Um, because, but you know what? Nobody's perfect, and you can never be perfect. And not everything can be done perfectly at the at the right time. And 
your house can't be as clean as your car at the same time. Your fridge can't be full and your car can't be clean. Your house can't be clean. Your kids can't be dressed perfectly and all the bills paid and everything done and the right amount of sex happening. That balance just doesn't happen all the time. And there's no perfect relationship or perfect life. It's if you have the capacity to deal with the issues that come along. And believe me, those issues will come along. So I wanted to talk about um, the joy of intimacy, just skipping to another subject. You know, this is one of the troubles that can happen in a marriage. Somebody gets gravely ill and gets a diagnosis of cancer, for example. Well, you know, on the just remembering that sex is good for you, dopamine allows for a focused attraction to your partner. Norepinephrine allows for that exhilaration you feel. Testosterone helps men with sexual desire. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone and a natural tranquilizer. And serotonin provides a sense of calm. And endorphins reduce pain perception and increase immunoglobulin A. So it helps with your immunity. So these are all physical benefits for sex. Dare I say that this could be treatment for many medical conditions, um, having sex. But we're so afraid to talk about it. And often healthcare professionals don't talk about it uh, at all. And we need to talk about it as healthcare professionals at the beginning of the diagnosis or at least somewhere along that, along that chain of treatment. Um, both cancer and the treatment may change how you look and how you feel about your appearance. And body image is so important for so many people. As, but especially for people with cancer, they may experience hair loss, weight gain or weight loss, surgical scars, rashes from certain drug therapies, loss of a limb or a breast or an organ. Uh, even many women who have lost their uterus as a result of uterine cancer may feel a loss um, and they may grieve that loss. The need for an ostomy, which is a surgical opening that allows body waste to exit the body, you know, may obviously isn't the sexiest feeling. Fatigue or loss of energy really affects a person's sexual desire. Reconstructive surgery, prosthetic devices, cosmetic solutions, all of these may lead to physical changes and that may impact a person's sex life, which is, could be they could have, a, you know, a couple could have had a beautiful and intimate relationship prior to this diagnosis. There are also emotional changes, sadness and anxiety. Cancer disrupts so many aspects of a personal's, of a person's life from their relationship to their work, to their hobbies, to that which defined them. They can actually also, they may have been the easiest going person in the world and they may experience frustration and anger and guilt and feeling out of control. And so these are things that we need to talk about. We need to educate people and how that will impact their intimate life. And we also need to uh, provide them with some solutions to actually feel better about themselves and un- and let them know that they can continue on with an intimate life um, they, and show them an appreciation for the strength of their bodies of what it's going through. They uh, aid people with shifting of priorities and clarity about the meaning of life and, and personal goals and, and educating that about fertility, for example. You know, that conversation needs to come up, especially in young people who have not started their families, perhaps, or have not finished their families. Uh, egg freezing is an option, sperm freezing. So, um, there are, um, you know, that conversation hasn't happened with uh, some of the patients from from what I understand. So, you know, there are ways to deal with the self-image changes and the, and the new um, way of life for a time and, and time to adjust needs to happen. And, um, you know, uh, peer group supports are fantastic. Building a network of friends and family who can support you. Um, talking to your healthcare team, a lot of um, healthcare 
professionals feel uncomfortable talking about sex with their patients because they feel that they're, well, a lot of them are discriminate and they actually think that, oh, well, they're over 50, they don't have sex anyway, um, or they're too young to be having sex, you know, they're 24, um, all of these preconceived notions and, you know, never judge anybody that way. Um, you know, or they're embarrassed about it. But, you know, you can em- embrace this conversation with humor is one way. Um, just saying something as a healthcare professional and patients are embarrassed to let their healthcare professionals know that they are sexually active. So we're all embarrassed about this beautiful thing that is so healthy for you and so good for you. So there's lots of uh, resources and community support, but I think it does start with um, the healthcare professionals and also you as the patient asking for and accepting help. A lot of people who are perfectionists who have never accepted any help may uh, find be uncomfortable asking for help, but you need the help so that you can reserve your energy. And you also need to uh, have get help with certain tasks, daily tasks that happen, or hiring a housekeeper if you can afford it, or perhaps your neighbors can come together and um, prepare meals or help you to tidy your house. Don't be embarrassed. Everybody's house gets a mess. Nobody has a perfect house ever, anytime. Oh, well, there's this one person that I know. But anyway, um, so... The struggle is real. And, you know, in so many parts of our lives, uh, the struggle is real, of course. Um, So we just want to just be kind to one another and be helpful and do the best we possibly can. Um, build up your emotional intelligence. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I want to tell you about uh, the Bladder Cancer Walk, which is happening on September 24th at, um, out in Burnaby. Um, go on to bladdercancercanada.com and you can find out about the walk. I'll be there. Also, um, the Hot Flash in the City is returning, and uh, we're returning to North Vancouver first at Centennial Theatre. Uh, the date is in October for that one. I don't, we're going to firm up that date by next week. But... Um, <laughs> And also going to be going out to Port Moody and to um, Surrey in November. So I'd love you to uh, come to that. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in the coming weeks. Remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening, or you have been listening, to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 with the fabulous Matt Hyland, who always does a bang-up job on the boards. I'm Maureen McGrath. Have a great week, everybody. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.